Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Bill Hamlet, the Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings, and my normal co-host, Ward Carroll, is not with me today, so this is the first time I've done a podcast alone and unafraid, uh, and I'm looking forward to this. we got a great guest coming up. Uh, first, just a couple things uh, to highlight things that are happening here at the Naval Institute. We finished the April issue of the magazine of, uh, of Proceedings last week, so it's off to the printers uh, to reach your mailbox by, next, uh, by the 1st of April. So April is our expeditionary warfare issue. So we've got some great articles. The Assistant Commandant of the Marine Corps. Uh, we got an article by uh, the head of the Navy SEALs, Naval Special Warfare, Admiral H.W. Howard. Uh, great piece on what's happening with Naval Special Warfare as they look to get back to uh, their focus as being Naval commandos. So that's a great article. Lots of other uh, just terrific stuff about uh, expeditionary warfare where you know land meets sea. Uh, things that the Navy, the Marine Corps, and uh, Naval Special Warfare are doing together. Uh, also want to highlight uh, in that issue, in our CEO notes, there's mention of the annual meeting at the Naval Institute. So once a year, it's always in May, uh, we do our annual meeting. This is the first time we're ever going to have it uh, here. Not, I shouldn't say first time we're ever going to have it at the Naval Institute, but it's the first time it, that I can remember uh, that we're having the annual meeting here at the Naval Institute in Annapolis on uh, the Naval Academy grounds in the Jack C. Taylor Conference Center. So we had the grand opening just last fall, and this is our first chance to show it off to a, uh, a large number of our members. So if you're a member and you're in the greater D.C., Annapolis, uh, Norfolk area, maybe even uh, you know the New York, Pennsylvania area, if you want to come see the Jack C. Taylor Conference Center, and participate in our annual meeting. It is always a terrific event. Uh, the, the $65 a year you spend on membership at the Naval Institute, you'll make it back in the open bar and the delicious food that we serve that night. Um, and we're going to have a panel discussion with a couple of the uh, American Sea Power Project authors. So I will just leave it at that. But uh, trust me, you'll want to be here for this conversation and the uh, for the annual meeting and for the chance to have a tour of the Jack C. Taylor Conference Center. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the ongoing war between uh, Russia and Ukraine. It is not a special military operation. It is a full-blown, uh, illegal, cross-border operation, invasion of one country over another. Uh, we here at the Naval Institute are uh, supportive of uh, Ukraine, and uh, we are making it known that, uh, you know, we, we think that Vladimir Putin made an illegal decision uh, to cross the border in, and uh, invade a sovereign nation, uh, regardless of what he thinks about, uh, about Ukraine. It is a sovereign nation that uh, has the right to self-govern and uh, that that operation, as you all know, is not going well for the Russians. Uh, I think their casualties have been higher than than anyone expected. Uh, but uh, of course, um, being on the receiving end of that punch, it's not going well for the Ukrainians either. So uh, things are sort of bogged down as I read the press over the weekend. Uh, but it's uh, it's a it's a horrific event. And um, we are looking to get uh, more and more content, uh, both in USNI News and in proceedings in the coming months on what's happening and the, the strategic and operational and tactical ramifications of events uh, in Ukraine. So, uh, you know, stand by for more of that. Um, okay, I think I'll get to our guest now. Uh, so this is a preview. This is, I think, the first time we've done a, an article 
uh, in an upcoming issue. So the first time we've had, usually we do the article, we publish the magazine, and then we bring the authors on board. Uh, but our guest this, this uh, week is uh, Major Zach Schwartz. He is the uh, operations officer for uh, a battalion out at uh, 29 Palms, 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines. And uh, as you can imagine, an active duty Marine uh, battalion uh, operations officer for a, an active duty infantry battalion. Uh, he's got a lot going on, so he couldn't wait until uh, his the magazine, until his article uh, hit the streets. But uh, Major Zach Schwartz uh, joining us from 29 Palms. Zach, great to have you on the show. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me, sir. Okay, so uh, your article is uh, is titled "Littoral Combat Teams Need Light Infantry, Not Less," and this this is a response. I think I would note that it's an incredibly professional and well argued response uh, to the uh, the article that was the winning essay in the Marine Corps essay contest last fall by uh, a Navy Lieutenant JG CB uh, that was basically saying that um, uh, that that. Um, the littoral combat teams as the Marine Corps moves and develops these uh, Marine littoral regiments and then the littoral combat teams, uh, that they could actually have fewer uh, infantry Marines and perhaps more of the specialties that do things like forward arming and refueling points or the nemesis uh, battalion, not nemesis units, I guess I should say, and didn't need quite as much infantry um, and you're arguing, nah, not so fast. Uh, these things, these littoral combat teams are going to need infantry. Infantry Marines is where where it's at. So uh, take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you, sir. Um, first and foremost, uh, reading that article uh, by Lieutenant Junior Grade Sue Kim, I, I enjoyed it. And it's it was definitely a, a good sign that people are putting uh, the right thought and really mental preparation as we as we move forward and, and the Marine Corps uh, and the entire maritime team changes and, 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 and heads into the future. That being said, uh, as far as taking the LCT, which is uh, has a, this this battalion uh, kind of construct to it, a, a full infantry battalion and, and pairing it down to just a company of infantry Marines, uh, as Lieutenant Su Kim, Lieutenant JG Su Kim is talking about, I think that exposes that formation to uh, a lot of risk. And I think you can gain a lot of the advantages that he speaks about in there uh, by grafting on the the fires and FARP enablers that are that are incredibly important uh, and are, are going to be increasingly vital uh, as these constructs come online. Uh, we, you can gain those advantages by grafting those formations onto to the uh, the battalion construct as it stands. But in removing the infantry, uh, that that footprint of the Marine riflemen, that there's going to be a lot of risk gained. Uh, whereas we can we can mitigate a lot of that. Uh, we can mitigate a lot of that and and increase uh, our ability for these formations to not only conduct defensive operations more effectively, uh, but also conduct the transition to the offense as well. Got it. So we've heard uh, from a number of Marines, uh, including some on our, of, of them on our editorial board, that there's a few different experiments happening now with the littoral combat teams uh, in, in the Marine Corps, that they're trying a couple of different options and, and seeing what works, correct? Is your, uh, is your battalion part of that experiment? Are you guys, uh, do are you taking on one of those particular 
formations or uh, concepts and, 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 and going forward with it? Or, or are you guys uh, more a traditional infantry uh, battalion that is waiting to see what happens out of those experimental teams? Yeah, so at, at this point, we are we, we remain the infantry battalion as it's been for, for, for a while now. So we are not one of the experimental formations. Uh, that being said, uh, there's a lot of folks in the battalion, and I can tell you across the Marine Corps, it sounds like you're already uh, leaning into it and, and mentioning that people are really waiting uh, to, to see how these experiments go. And it's an, it's an exciting time uh, as the Marine Corps really embraces this iterative process to ensure that we're, we're as lethal and capable uh, as possible going into the future. So yeah, right right now we're we're trying to learn as much as everybody else uh, while still remaining ready uh, with the with the legacy construct that 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 we're utilizing. Gotcha, gotcha. So uh, one of the things that we we loved about your article when we read it and accepted it for publication was you had some great um, uh, history examples, and one of them dates back to World War II and the battle between the Finnish uh, uh, army and uh, uh, Russian or Soviet naval infantry. So recap that for us. What were the lessons there that apply, you, in your mind, that apply to expeditionary advanced base operations, what the Marine Corps is trying to do in 2022? Yeah, uh, for sure. So the offensive that I was talking about was not specifically the uh, the Finns, it was the Germans occupying Finnish territory, specifically uh, German formations uh, of, of Gebersjäger, so uh, mountain infantry that were sort of tasked with, with holding uh, Finland above the Arctic Circle uh, from the, the, the eventual uh, assault of, of, of the Soviets. And the Soviets found themselves in a pretty tough situation. 1944, they've got a, a massive overmatch in uh, armor and, and mechanized and motorized formations. You're not going to get away with a lot of that in the, in the fjords of Finland uh, and, and very much the, the, the littoral zone uh, that, that is this region that, that, that the Germans had fortified uh, incredibly thoroughly. So the Soviets had to kind of go back to the drawing board and, and figure out how they were going to gain an advantage. And what they turned to was uh, light infantry formations. So units of uh, essentially riflemen with uh, their, with, they were uh, reinforced with fires and uh, tack piece or so aviation enablers. Um, and they moved light, they moved on their feet, they fought uh, from from ships. Uh, and what they really managed to do was outflank and outmaneuver uh, these German defenders uh, in, in multiple instances across uh, the, the battlefront. Uh, and, and what's interesting is you, you really don't hear much about uh, this offensive, uh, because it's, it's, it's not one of the massive campaigns uh, uh, that, that typically characterize the, 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 what the Soviets saw as the Great Patriotic War, what we see as the Eastern Front. Um, it, it was a light infantryman's war, uh, specifically light infantrymen in the littorals uh, who, who enabled that advantage. And it was a good area to look for me as, a, as uh, an infantryman who is preparing for combat in the littorals uh, as the Marine Corps moves in that direction. Uh, it, it was a really good case study in how light infantry uh, can really allow a decisive advantage uh, in, in environments that are, that are not too different uh, than, than the rocky and difficult uh, Pacific terrain that, that we're expecting to encounter on, on these islands across, uh, across the, the Pacific. 
Gotcha. Okay. Um, and this is way up north. This is up, yeah. uh, not, this isn't Gulf of Finland. This is up more, more closer to Murmansk in the, the very, what in the summertime is really marshy in the wintertime is awfully cold, correct? Petsamo Kirkness uh, was the name of the offensive. Yep. Uh, um, pretty far north. Uh, but, but really when you, when you look at the terrain and you look at the challenges that that terrain put on uh, both forces, the, the, the Germans and the Soviets, uh, there's some pretty strong parallels to where we're expecting to fight in the future and uh, some pretty strong lessons learned for how both formations were uh, either successful or unsuccessful uh, in, in the campaign above the Arctic Circle. Gotcha. Okay. Um, talk a little bit about uh, quantity and quality because uh, that comes up in your article as well. And you mentioned that uh, Lieutenant J.G. Kim's article sort of said, hey, a, a littoral combat team should be a company of infantry and then more heavily weighted towards the FARP or the nemesis battery, if you will. And, uh, and, and your, your argument is kind of the, the opposite, that it should be a, 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 an infantry battalion and then add to that infantry battalion the, the FARP capability or the, the uh, you know, the anti-ship capability. Uh, so why, um, what, what are the major uh, differences or advantages, you know, the battalion, the infantry battalion be the center stage of that? So for the infantry battalion and, and, and having that larger footprint, um, you gain a lot of flexibility, you gain a lot of depth uh, when you talk about offensive and defensive operations. So I've been a company commander. Uh, and I can tell you that if I am the only infantry company uh, in a formation built along the lines that uh, Lieutenant Junior Grade Kim is talking about, uh, span of control is going to start to become an issue. I mean, he's talking about sending individual squads out to conduct defensive operations, essentially independently on, on, on EABs. Um, if, I'm, if I'm that company commander and I'm sending those squads out, uh, our, our squad leaders are fantastic. They're, they're, they're great Marines and they lead great Marines. Uh, but I can tell you that squad's going to get, they're going to get pretty tired pretty quick uh, because as we learn from the Pitsamo Kirkness offensive uh, in the littorals, uh, in this complex compartmentalized terrain, that squad, that company, that infantry formation is going to have to fight as light infantry to be successful. Uh, they're not going to have the heavy armor, the heavy firepower support uh, that, that we've often relied upon in our history. Uh, they're they're going to have to fight on foot with, with really what they can carry. And that's a that's a lot to ask of an independent squad uh, that's conducting a defense all by their lonesome. A, a light infantry defense, it, it involves movement, it involves maneuver, it involves ambush, uh, hidden blocking positions, moving every 24 hours. Uh, that that squad's going to start, start to get pretty darn tired. And that platoon's going to start to get pretty darn tired. And when the only other forces you can rely upon for assistance are a couple other platoons within one company that's already very much overstretched uh, and, and, and stressed out and attempting to conduct C2 across uh, potentially hundreds of miles. I, I'm seeing some potential gaps coming in here. I'm seeing a lot of risk that if we had a full battalion construct, uh, we could we could absolutely uh, mitigate uh, by, by having 
just more manpower on the deck, more infantry Marines uh, who are capable of, of fighting that light infantry defense, of rotating through patrols, uh, of rotating through uh, seeking and conducting spoiling attacks against possible uh, intruders or, or infiltrators. It's kind of it in a nutshell for, for, for the footprint, uh, uh, why that battalion is, is so critical to these formations. Got it. So in your mind, so if, if we're talking about, you know, potentially first island chain in the Philippines, perhaps uh, if, if a littoral combat team is uh, an infantry battalion size, we're talking about perhaps more than just one atoll at a time, right? We're talking, you're talking about several different um, fire teams out on multiple atolls with the ability to reinforce between them. And, and that's why you're, you know, you're arguing for a, a greater size, more of that light infantry, not, not, you know, not less of it. I, I don't know if, and I guess when I read uh, Lieutenant Kim's piece, it seemed like he was saying um, if you're going to have a FARP or a nemesis battery, that that particular battery only needs to have a, uh, a company size element with it. Yeah, and and it seemed like for for the the LCT as he saw it, uh, that one company is it. I mean, they're going to be spread across all of these various um, EABs or locations or, or wherever they're going to be set up uh, because part of their survivability is going to come from being dispersed uh, and being able to move. And I, I think another piece of his argument is that. Uh, we can refocus training uh, on, on these non-infantry personnel to ensure that they are capable of conducting really infantry operations uh, in, in the littorals so they can defend themselves. Um, I can tell you, every Marine is a rifleman. All of our Marines are, uh, they're, they're, they're trained, they know how to shoot their rifle, um, they know how to engage targets, um, and, and they're pretty darn good. Uh, but I think, when you only have that one company, you're putting a lot of stress on those non-infantry Marines to have to do infantry things. And, and here's the thing, the Marine Corps is invested in those Marines to be really good C2 enablers or really good uh, nemesis operators or, or really good bulk fuel logisticians. When they're getting pulled out of their day job, if you will, uh, to bulk up patrols or help dig fighting positions or uh, conduct uh, some type of defensive offensive operations, you're, you're degrading the capability of that LCT. Whereas if you just had the right infantrymen who are already invested in, uh, they're already, the, the Marine Corps is already invested in them to be the best possible infantry Marines they can be. When they're doing their job and the non-infantry Marines are doing their specific jobs that they've been trained to, I think that's when the, the LCT is going to be most efficient. And you, you simply can't achieve that uh, if you've just got that one company uh, stretched to its limit uh, across uh, an LCT that is, that's based on fires and FARP enablers, as opposed to having them as, as, as bolt-ons, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and I guess it, it, you know, a lot of this is going to be dependent on, uh, on the scale, right? And how, you know, are we talking about hundreds of square miles with multiple, you know, island EABs. Um, and and you're, you're not really sure when you go in, where the adversary is going to come after you. Are you, are you taking an, an island from 
you know, perhaps a, a, the Chinese, or are you just going there, set up a nemesis bata- uh, battery, set up a FARP, uh, and, and trying to defend that so that, um, you know, the, the forces so that you can, you can contest the sea control out around that island, or you can uh, have F-35s or helicopters come and, and refuel forward because the amphibs, the traditional amphibs, the L-class ships have got to stay a little bit further back now because the adversary's got long-range weapons that, that can threaten them. So I guess to some extent, this is, we're, we're talking about, you know, I, I keep thinking about uh, Marine Air Ground Task Force, right? And you guys always, no matter what the Marine Corps, you, you know, uh, mission is, you, you use that air ground capability and you, you know, you scale it for, for the mission. Um, so this just, it seems a, a, a bit of that that we're kind of talking about. And in your idea, you've got more infantry Marines to be able to respond to all the different uh, problem sets that the adversary might throw you, not just in one particular islet, but in perhaps multiple uh, atolls with the ability to move infantry around to, to meet the threat and defend the capability that you need to defend out there. Am I, am I reading that right? No, you absolutely are, sir. The the that that LCT will just be more capable of defending itself, more capable of operating independently uh, and staying lethal, and more capable of setting conditions for uh, offensive and, and defensive operations. Uh, another another part, something that we don't think about, is a, a good defense oftentimes involves uh, limited offensive action, and 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 kind of punching the other guy in the face. Uh, before he gets the opportunity to get to get the jump on you, and when you just have a company that's that's uh, all you have available as far as your your infantry uh, footprint, your light infantry capability, uh, that's going to be tough. You, know, you look at the 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 you go back to the uh, battle of uh, Cape Christovi with the uh, Soviet Marines. They they had one really one slightly reinforced company conducting uh, an offensive operation against a German, essentially a German EAB. They had they had uh, fires assets that were denying access to uh, a key port. And the this company launches this assault, this raid to pre- uh, to to prevent that battery from stopping uh, an eventual Soviet amphibious assault. And they get pretty good effects initially. It's a night attack. Uh, they infiltrate. They get very close. They use very good light infantry tactics camouflage concealment they get right up on top of the germans before they know what's going on uh but all they had was that company and that enemy force that german force eventually reinforced held them off just long enough uh to 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 reinforce and and make the situation pretty pretty dicey for them until uh the soviet marines were eventually reinforced with another company they had their tac p uh get some aircraft on station and started running, uh, running some some close air support against those Germans. But it, it it just goes to show you we can do all these great light infantry things, uh, but but you really need enough of it uh, to 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 be to, to have the flexibility and depth that these formations are going to need uh, to to stay in the fight and and stay survivable. Gotcha. Uh, I'm I'm going to go off your article for a minute and just to ask you, uh, you know a little bit of the the water cooler conversation or you know what what's happening out there at 29 palms is at your level as you talk to your colleagues um and, and you know the the marine corps force design 2030 you know there's been a lot of divestment of capabilities that had been you know sort of legacy most notable is the you know the tank battalions that have, that have gone away right um and uh you know we know that the 
you know, General Berger has consciously made the decision to make the Marine Corps a little bit smaller in order to get those new capabilities, train to those new capabilities, uh, experiment with them to, to build towards, you know, what will be force design 2030. Um, as you guys, you know, as you, as you think about, you know, potentially being battalion commanders or regimental commanders uh, in your future, um, you know, how do you see uh, the, the future operations? How do you see, you know, the light amphibious warship, uh, the, the, the nemesis system coming online, the use of UAVs in that sort of expeditionary environment out in the first or second island chain? That's a great question. <laughs> it's a big uh, I, one, I know. Yeah, that's definitely, uh, tell you what, I don't know what your typical definition of water cooler conversation is. <laughs> that, takes it, that takes it up a notch. I think you have a different water cooler than we do. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, if, if I had to sum it, I had to sum it up, obviously, we already mentioned it, but we're in this iterative process where we're experimenting, we're trying to figure these things out, we're trying to learn as best we can so we can, uh, we can tailor our approach um, and, and, and be as ready as possible. Um, these new capabilities, all of these things that are coming online, uh, I think, you know, and I speak for myself here. Um, I see these things as, uh, these are good tools. These are, these are fantastic tools. These are incredibly vital tools to, to our new mission set. Uh, but the primary weapon system in the Marine Corps, personal opinion is going to remain the, the Marine and the rifle. Uh, and, and I believe that 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 needs to uh, that needs to remain a bedrock of, of who we are. These nemesis systems, these UAVs, um, the, these are tools that make us more effective. Uh, but but there still needs to be a rifleman uh, in there on the deck, patrolling, conducting offensive, defensive operations, uh, because someone's going to come for that nemesis system one day. Someone's going to come to that island. Uh, they might not show up in the big ship that we can easily target. Uh, they might show up in the middle of the night in, in a masked civilian vessel. They might come from, from undersea. Um, they might get dropped off by proxies. We don't know. They might, they might not even be from a country. They might just be some violent extremist organization. Uh, but, but they're coming. And, and I think it's fair to say that at some point, these formations that we're putting out there uh, in the contact layer uh, to, to preempt the adversary, these, these formations will be contested uh, physically and violently at some point. Uh, and to protect all of these assets, protect all of these, uh, these weapons, to make them work, we need the boots on the ground in the mud who are, who are willing to, to protect it and who have the skills and the light infantry uh, mindset of, um, I might get cut off, I might be trapped behind enemy lines, but, but I'm going to figure it out because that's what I do. Uh, I live in my environment. I hunt in my environment. The, the enemy is the intruder here. Um, I'm going to find a way to win with just the, the clothes on, on my back, my chest rig, and my rifle. Um, I think that's going to be the, the very much part of the decisive element uh, when, when the enemy tries to take these, these, these cool toys uh, and these, these, these uh, incredible uh, assets. When they try to take them away for, from us, there's going to be a Marine and their rifle standing between them uh, and their goal. That's a great answer. Is there excitement? You know, I'm a mid, mid-career officer, you know, and I, I was one at, at one point, about the 10-year point, I'm a lieutenant commander, and I remember there were good days and bad days, right? Um, but is there, you know, as you guys think about this, you've you've moved out of, you know, you've done some rotations in, in the sandbox in Iraq or Afghanistan, and, you know, that those were tough missions. 
but it was very much uh, outside of the littoral world, right? And now you're, the Marines are getting back to their naval roots. Uh, Navy SEALs are doing the same thing. We've got a lot in the, in the upcoming April issue. We've got a, a great article also in the April issue about uh, that says the Marines need a few good mules, which is talking about pack animals in expeditionary advanced base operations. You know, when you when you're if you're out there in in small units in these uh, you know places like uh, you know the the Philippines and other littoral areas around the South China Sea, you know it's going to be hard, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to, to sustain those forces. Right. So, you know, guys are starting to think about, uh, you know, things like, Hey, how did we do this in world war II? Well, we did it with pack animals. Right. And, and that's, a, you know, me, that was a fascinating uh, article to read. I learned a lot about the history of pack animals, world war one, world war two, and, um, you know, Hey, low signature, uh, ability to forage for themselves, uh, you know, that, that it, concealable, perhaps, um, maybe more so than, uh, than than vehicles for certain. Anyway, interesting concepts, but a lot of these things are, are, are being thrown out in the pages of proceedings. And I know that they're being experimented with, uh, as you mentioned in the Marine Corps. But I got to think that there's, you know, there's probably some uh, at least intellectual excitement about this challenge right now. There's definitely excitement. I, I can tell you that's a fact. Uh, this is uh this is a a, a, a damn good time uh to be a marine to, to to tell you straight up um it's it's a time of transition it's a time where uh people are asking lots of questions uh but that's the way it should be uh, and it's forcing us to engage intellectually with our profession uh and to and, and to get beyond intellectual engagement uh, we can draw everything we want on a chalkboard we can we can come up with as many cool ideas um as we can you know have dry erase markers to, to, to make them. Uh, but how do we make this something physical and tangible uh, that we can experiment with? And, and how do we learn as much as possible from that experimentation? How do we debrief? How do we get a good after action out of it? And how do we turn it into something, again, tangible going forward? Um, this is this is a great time uh, to, to, to be a Marine. It's a challenging time for sure. Uh, but when, when has there ever been an easy time? Uh, this is this is the way we want it. it, it we should be engaging we should be debating we should be uh coming to grips with tough ideas like how many how many infantry marines do i really need to keep uh, an lct safe how, how do i enable transition to the to, to to the offense instead of just creating two surfaces in the pacific now, these are tough questions but um this is a time where where folks are excited and they're engaging with the profession in a way that uh i i, I don't think i've seen uh up, up to this point obviously you know i'm just a I'm just a, a really a, a, a baby major right now, but um, it, it is a, a noticeable difference uh, when I compare the conversations that are being had, even by lieutenants right now in my battalion, uh, than the ones that I was having uh, as a lieutenant, um, you know, back in like 2012, um, when we when we weren't thinking about stuff like this. Uh, and it's it's encouraging. And it's exciting to see. Yeah, that's my sense as well. I was down at. Uh... The basic school, boys go to Warden, I trade off and we, we uh, give a Naval Institute presentation at the basic school. And the, some of the questions I got from uh, lieutenants after the brief coming up and asking questions and wanting to, you know, to write for proceedings and, hey, sir, how do I do this? What are some topics? And I just sense that there's this uh, uh, an engaging spirit right now that, hey, we're, we're facing a really tough adversary or adversaries uh, and 
and a desire to to want to think about things and experiment and war game and and get out there and, and try new things. We have we have a question for one of our uh, uh, audience members. Uh, Alex Awesome Sauce writes: Have there been any recent advancements in the body armor of the average infantry unit? So, uh, you know, you've been around for ten years or so in the Marine Corps. How has body armor changed as uh, for for infantry Marines in that time? Yeah, good good question. Um, I can tell you that it's. Uh, we just got the new Gen 3 uh, plate carriers uh, in, in, at my battalion, and they're, they're, they're pretty good. Um, they, we're, we're continuing to move the ball forward. Um, we've got high-cut helmets now. Uh, we've got hearing protection, active hearing protection, Peltor headsets. Um, we're, we are definitely moving the ball forward as far as uh, personal protective equipment. Uh, for our Marines and, and making sure that not only are they as safe as possible when we ask them to do very dangerous things, uh, but they're, uh, they're, they're as light and as lethal as possible. Uh, I think one of the big questions going forward, though, is when we go to places in the littorals, uh, when we're climbing up seaside cliffs, when we're fighting through deep jungle, at what point are we willing to accept risk uh, and, and, and drop that plate carrier entirely and fight with a chest rig? Uh, or, or a belt with just our, our kit that we need to survive on it and some magazines um, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe some chow uh, and, and a shelter half. And, and that goes back to the exciting conversations we're having right now because uh, we're getting some cool stuff. We're getting some, some, some great tools. But in the end, the asset is still the Marine and their rifle. And sometimes uh, fighting lighter is actually going to keep you more mission effective uh, than, than than wearing 18 layers of, 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 of body armor. Um, again, personal opinion, uh, but we're having the conversations and it's exciting. Uh, and and even though we're getting the, the the new cool stuff, we're asking some 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 good deep questions about how we want to use that stuff uh, and, and how we can be most effective. That sort of makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I'll read from your article because uh, Alex's question, this is something that you actually said in your in your article, you say foot mobile operations. Now that gets to my point about mules, right? Foot mobile operations with only sporadic vehicle support must become the norm. Commanders must be encouraged to experiment with ways to make their Marines as light, lethal, and survivable as possible. This may mean accepting risk with shedding of body armor on patrols or increase in the use of ultralight tactical vehicles and dirt bikes or mules uh, for cross-country uh, mobility. Anyway, uh, lot, lots to think about there. Um, Alex, uh, you know, give I'll give you the mic for a minute. Um, you know, what 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 uh, as you know, kind of parting thoughts. Uh, what's on your mind as you get ready to to deploy? You said your uh, your battalion's about to go out to Darwin, Australia, um, and as uh, the the conversation continues. Uh, as, as your article reaches the April proceedings, and then I'm sure we'll get, you know, we'll get letters on that and we'll get more that the conversation will continue to go. You know, what, what would you like to see uh, over the next year in terms of that experimentation and where the Marine Corps is, uh, you know, kind of finds itself uh, in, in about this time in 2023 or 2024? Yeah. Uh, it, so on the note of the mules, uh, big fan, big fan of, uh, of the, the animal packing courses, uh, that we have in that skill set. That's that's part of being light infantry. And the Soviet Marines were using uh, reindeer above the Arctic Circle. So good historical precedent to that. I'm glad you pulled that one out, sir. Uh, but as far as as the way ahead and, and what I'd like to see, 
if it comes down to one thing, I, I would I would have to say uh, the experimentation uh, and the willingness to to test TTPs uh, on on the, the smallest tactical level. Uh, and what I mean by that is we should be getting ideas uh, from from our lance corporals and our PFCs. Uh, they're they're the ones who are going to go out and they're going to put on that chest rig or that plate carrier and they're going to have to accomplish that mission with task uh, task and purpose. Um, we should be pulling on our, our on our, our our lance corporals or our most junior marines um, and 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 getting their thoughts and and, and really experimenting with uh, what they think is going to make them more effective. Um, we should be talking to our sergeants, our NCOs, the backbone of the Marine Corps. Uh, the, 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 the ones who really make the rubber meet the road, same thing, uh, this, this experimentation, uh, a lot of it's going to be coming down from, from, from higher levels. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we, we, we don't experiment, uh, on, on the lower levels as well. It doesn't mean that it doesn't come from the bottom up, uh, because we might be getting some cool stuff. Uh, we might be getting nemesis. We might be getting, uh, all kinds of great assets, um, uh, passed on to us and that, that we fall in that gear on that gear set. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we can't experiment with TTPs and better ways to fight with it uh, on our lower level. So if, if we can see that experimentation uh, from all Marines uh, sustained, uh, if we can see every Marine invited to the table for that conversation, I don't care if they're a PFC, I don't care if they're a Lance Corporal, Sergeant, all the way up to general, we, we need to be having these conversations as a team uh, and everybody needs to feel comfortable at the table, throwing their ideas out there, uh, having somebody back them up and say, yeah, you know what? Like, let's try that out. Uh, let's see. Or, or maybe if it's not doable, they need, they need to at least hear why. Uh, and, and they need to at least get pointed in the right direction because that energy, that desire to change things, the desire to make things better, uh, that isn't just a major or a captain thing. That's across the force. Uh, and, and what's going to keep us lethal and ready is, is capitalizing on, 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 on it from, from every Marine, uh, regardless of, uh, of rank and to include, uh, our, our Navy attachments as well, our, our, our corpsmen, uh, our doctors, uh, and even our ministry staff as well. So. Uh, those are some great points and it would echo what we would tell you here, uh, you know, the readers and the listeners, uh, at proceedings at the Naval Institute, We've made a concerted effort to get more enlisted authors in proceedings over the last five or six years uh, very successfully. So if you look at the number of uh, you know, enlisted professionals writing in our pages, it has gone up steadily from 2015, partly because we brought back the Enlisted Prize Essay Contest. But now those enlisted professionals are realizing that they can also vie for competition or vie for prizes in our other essay contests, the Coast Guard essay contest, the Marine Corps essay contest, the General Prize essay contest, et cetera. Uh, so, yeah, as you go out with your uh, with your battalion, uh, as you talk to the gunnies, as you talk to the, you know, the, the, the staff sergeants and, and, and on down, um, those that have brilliant ideas, uh, you know, encourage them to write for us because we'd like to we'd love to publish them. Um, oh, we've got a, one one last question um, from our from one of our listeners. Uh, uh, S. Voigt writes for the rifle squad. What side of what sort of loadout for multi missions such as anti armor and anti air? I know at the squad level this could be a tough challenge. Would you use specialized squads? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, depending on their mission set. So what's great about the Marine Corps is I can go to that sergeant squad leader and I can say, hey, here's your task and purpose. Here's the mission I need you to do. Uh, and if he 
or she can't figure out how to accomplish that mission with the gear set that they have, um, they're, they're going to ask for what they need. Uh, and, and, and our job on the battalion is the staff uh, and, and on the company staff as well is to source those Marines with, with, with the, the tools they need to be successful. Uh, so really for, for, for anti-armor, uh, I know folks probably know that, that uh, the, the Carl Gustav should be coming online in the near future. Uh, we've still got legacy anti-armor systems, uh, Javelin, uh, AT4, small. Those are still fantastic systems, extremely effective. Um, those squads need to be capable of using those, those assets. And if they don't have the personnel to use them or the assets themselves, uh, then my job as part of the staff is to source that for them. Uh, for the anti-air, it's a little bit trickier. Fortunately, uh, the Marine Corps has been putting a lot of emphasis on our low altitude air defense Marines. Uh, and that might be one of those assets that we graft on to those squads and graft onto those companies, graft onto those LCTs. Uh, so maybe in the future, we've got squads patrolling with uh, a Javelin system, but also a Stinger system. Uh, or an Elmatis uh, or, or, or some other low altitude air defense system. Uh, and having good light infantry squads that can get those assets in position to be effective, uh, that's, that, that's, that's one of the things that makes the Marine Corps different. Uh, you give them the tools, you give them the enablers, uh, those, those, those infantry Marines are going to get that asset where it needs to go uh, to be most effective and they're going to accomplish the mission. I don't want to extrapolate too much from what's happening in, in Ukraine right now between the Ukrainian defenders and the Russian aggressors, but it would appear to me that there are some significant lessons for light infantry right now against a very heavy mechanized force that the that the Russians are using as an invasion force. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Javelin, I know the, the Brits have given this thing an end law. Uh, but the, the 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 light infantry on their feet, running around with these uh, anti-tank capabilities, seems to be giving the Russians a really significant problem set. So uh, that 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 would tend to at least validate to some extent the idea of light infantry, also the the direction of lightness that the that Commandant Berger has taken the Marine Corps. Absolutely. All right. Well, our time is up. Our major, our uh, our guest today has been Major Zach Swartz. He is joining us from 29 Palms out in California. He is the operations officer for 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines. Did I get that right? Or is it the opposite? Got it. The blade. I got it right. 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines. And he's the author of an article in the April issue. So previews of coming attraction coming in, in uh, uh, on, on, on our website on 31 March and to your mailbox uh, sub sub subject to the U.S. Postal Service delivery um, on, on or about the 1st of April. The article is titled, Light, uh, Littoral Combat Teams Need Light Infantry, Not Less. And it's a great article. So, Zach, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for writing for Proceedings. It's been great great talking to you. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it. Number five. All right. And for our listeners, uh, the, the Naval Institute Pro, uh, the Proceedings podcast is brought to you by the members of the Naval Institute. So if you are not a member, we'd encourage you to become one. Go to www.usni.org slash join. Uh, you, there's digital membership. There's uh, print and digital membership. There's three-year memberships, life memberships. Uh, the most important thing is that you join and become a member of the Naval Institute because everything we do is based on the, uh, the, the, what, uh, the strength of our membership. One today. And until next week, we'll catch you soon. Take care.